0: Coming up on Stu Does America, I have returned. Please try to control your excitement as we discuss the radical and thrilling confirmation hearing of Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. Jeremy Dice from First Liberty Institute is here, and he has some opinions he'd like to share. Then we examine some old footage of Justice Clarence Thomas' interactions with Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Ah, this is great stuff. Back during his 1991 confirmation process, This is seriously the guy the left has running. I, it never, it does not, I just don't understand it. Have you been avoiding our YouTube channel while I've been gone? Well, stop it. I am back now. So keep getting your friends and family to subscribe while also liking and commenting on all the videos. Do all the things, you know, do all the things. And don't forget to hit the little notification bell that tells you when we post new content. Keep listening to our podcast while you're driving, exercising, or trying to drown out Cory Booker's self-righteousness. It works wonders. Just don't forget to rate us five stars on iTunes. That's the appropriate number of stars. And leave us some reviews as well. I will read my favorites at the end of the show. And uh, I will also uh, show that you have a little bit of spirit, a little hometown spirit. I mean, we got a Supreme Court justice going on right now. Show that you have Amy Coney Barrett's back as she gets slandered in the Senate. Get your notorious ACB shirt at the merch store right now. doesMerch.com is the place to go. doesMerch.com. Well, it kills me to miss shows with everything that was going on. Let's get right into it. We'll start by doing COVID-19. Stu Does America. Well, 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 welcome back. I picked a great week to be out, didn't I? Nothing going on in the news at all. So as you might have heard, a very important person bravely fought off the coronavirus last week. He was believed to be exposed on Saturday, September 26th, and tested positive on Thursday, October 1st. That person is, of course, me. The ultimate VIP. Yep, I had the Rona, everybody. Stu had the vid. Proud member of Club Corona. It all started, I believe, with a little dinner I went to on Saturday night. So before the Karens come searching for us with torches and pitchforks, it really is hard to eat with your mask on, so I don't think that was the cause. When we started the meal, it was a small group. We were pretty much the only ones in the place. By the end, it had literally turned into a public service announcement from Dr. Fauci as the exact sort of place you should never be in. (laughs) It got crowded. People started dancing on an apparent dance floor. I'm pretty sure people were randomly sneezing for fun. By the end of the night, I put my chances at getting COVID at approximately 93%. Imagine my surprise when I later learned that it was actually someone I was at dinner with who started feeling sick a couple days later. Apparently, someone he worked with gave it to him. He took a test on Tuesday then got their positive results on Wednesday. So after doing this fabulous little show on Wednesday night, I found out this little nugget of information, and my wife and I went on a really fun adventure to the urgent care clinic and experienced the wonder of nasal swab rapid tests. (laughs) Oh, that was a joy. Let me tell you about it. She tested positive. I tested negative. Mm. Now, as a few dozen people around the White House found out, just because you have a negative test doesn't mean you aren't spreading disease around like your Charlie Sheen. At this point, I'm feeling totally fine. No symptoms for anyone in the house. Everything seems to be going well. One of the weird things that happens if you go through this sort of craziness is the guidance from the doctors and the CDC is that my wife, who tested positive, needs to isolate until the 10th day following her positive test. All right, fine, 10 days, whatever. But also that I have to isolate for 14 days. If you're in the healthcare industry, I'm sure you've had a wonderful time communicating that information to people. I felt like saying, "Uh, no, you don't understand. I won here. My wife lost. I won. I had the negative test. And you're telling me I have to quarantine longer? And then, of course, I would burn the building to the ground. No, (laughs) don't actually burn the building down. You should only do that when you're protesting systemic racism. And, of course, the building is an auto zone. Then it's totally fine. It seems bizarre, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. The idea is if, you know, if you're negative and you're living with someone that has a positive test, they probably already gave it to you, but you haven't tested positive yet. It happens. It takes a few days. You'll probably do so in a few days' uh, time, meaning your quarantine window lasts a little bit longer. Now, the next day, we've got the whole family tested, and I tested positive as well. And everybody in the family eventually did as well. We're an adorable little family of coronavirus petri dishes. Oh, isn't that adorable? Luckily, I tend to think in terms of statistics and probability. If you didn't know that, welcome to the show. And as we've talked many times uh, here, as we've been blabbing on about COVID all this time, if you get the COVID, the odds are overwhelmingly in your favor that you'll be okay. A study in Spain estimated that in my age group, about 0.07% of people die. That's really low. For the president's age group, that's more like 3.4%. But even there, over 96% of people live. There can be some nasty, long-lasting side effects in some of the serious cases. Obviously, the president wound up in the hospital, which either indicates he had a pretty serious case, they were being really careful, or that he really likes hospital food. I, I don't know. For those in their 70s that are otherwise healthy, about 28% of people that are infected wind up in the hospital. If you add on some underlying health conditions, that number is more like 65%. In my age group, uh, only about 6% of otherwise healthy people go to the hospital, and about 30% if you have underlying conditions. As you can see, I'm in peak physical condition and have no worries about ever being sick. As I always say, the best cure for COVID-19, super sexy abs It's true. But having this knowledge going in, I wasn't fearful. As Trump was leaving the hospital, he tweeted about not being afraid of COVID-19 and not letting it dominate your life. This led to the expected rounds of media horror. I can't believe after going to the hospital, he's still trying to downplay this threat. First of all, yes, you can you can believe it. You believe anything that you consider negative about this president. It's always believed. I have faith in you. You can believe it. Don't doubt yourself. But more importantly, there's nothing inconsistent with this way of thinking. You can still have a healthy respect for a serious national tragedy without letting it dominate your life. You can take precautions without being afraid. Fear is an emotion. Emotions don't work well with pandemics emotions make people yell at other citizens and grocery stores for not wearing masks when screaming droplets everywhere is the exact kind of thing that spreads the virus emotions are making public health officials get on television and try to argue that gatherings of tens of thousands of people are not risky at all because they agree with the protests Emotions cause people to say that Andrew Cuomo did a great job with the pandemic because they want it to be true so badly that they ignore how uniquely awful Andrew Cuomo really is. Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. Emotions don't help us make sober judgments about the right path forward. We should think about covid kind of like we think about guns. You shouldn't fear guns. You should have a healthy respect for them. You're never going to eliminate all risk, but understanding that risk and trying to mitigate it as much as possible without blowing up your society is not irrational. Going in, I knew about 40 percent of cases are believed to be asymptomatic. And thankfully, that's the group that our family fell into. None of us had any symptoms. That's obviously great news for us. Yay. But I will say not having symptoms makes the whole experience very strange. First of all, it's very disruptive. You basically have to turn your life off for a couple of weeks with no warning while you feel totally fine. This feels so opposed to the American experience, as have so many aspects of the COVID era. You know, when we're challenged, we want to stand up and get out there and fight. But we're told the best thing to do is to stay home when we're not feeling sick. We want to go out and get out and work. But in this case, that's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. Then you have to start calling around all your friends and coworkers to let them know you might've infected them with the worst pandemic in a hundred years. Oops. Sorry. (laughs) One thing I did not really realize until we had to go through it is that people don't like that phone call. (laughs) And it's not really what you'd expect. It's not like, Hey, thanks a lot. Jerk. I appreciate you passing me this disease. It's more like, no, don't tell me that now I can't eat out for two weeks. And look, I certainly get that emotion. I am happy to live in deep, deep denial over tons of things in my life. But this is the most basic thing we can do. More basic than vaccines or therapeutics or social distancing or even masks. Look, I get the instinct to want to go out and live your life. I'm not a fan of wearing masks. I am a fan of social distancing. That's totally unrelated, though. It's one thing to say, look, I'm not going to exist in a bubble. You know, I have to live my life. That's totally fine. It's another thing to say, I'm not changing anything even when I've had close contact with someone who is positive. These are two separate standards here. If just those people would suck it up and remove themselves from polite society for a few days, it would be really annoying, but it would eliminate so many of these broad sweeping actions that government officials love to take. My kids have been at school uh, in person since August. I know you're jealous. I could have kept sending them to school until they had a positive test. But we pulled them out immediately upon learning that we might have had a close contact. The distance learning thing can be annoying, but if we had sent a couple of COVID-positive rugrats to school for just those extra couple of days, they could have spread those germs all over the place, and then the whole school closes for two weeks. God, please, no. I know not everyone has a stupid, meaningless job like I do. And it's not that easy for everybody to do this. I get it. But erring on the side of caution personally takes away the justification for government morons to come after our rights generally. So while it's still fresh in my mind, let me give you this quick little reference guide. So in case you test positive, you could learn from my many trials and tribulations. First, let me review all of the tests that I've had to take. The antibody test. It takes like five minutes Uh, they draw a little blood, then you get the results in a couple days. If you're like millions of Americans who are convinced you had COVID back when you had that nasty flu-like thing in maybe February, go get an antibody test. Your insurance will likely cover it, and you'll know if you had COVID, and then you'll know if you have immunity. It's good information, uh, but there's still a needle involved. I give it a 6 out of 10. The cheek swab test, probably my favorite of the bunch, you swab all the areas of your mouth, drive through style, you throw it in a bag and then they text you the results in like a day and a half. At least where we are, there was basically no lines and insurance covered the test. It's not uncomfortable, plus it works like a drive through and it works a drive through into the equation which I love already and am an expert at. I give it a nine out of 10. Great test, that's the test you wanna get. The saliva test, now this one you spit into a tube and then you bring it to UPS results in about 48 hours from the time you're spitting. Uh, you do it in your own home, which is nice, but it's actually pretty hard to come up with that much saliva. I will say it takes like five minutes of spinning uh, and in between the spitting, uh, there's a the super awkward moments because you have to do the whole thing on a Zoom call with a doctor. Do you talk to the doctor in between the spitting? Do you make Zoom eye contact? It's very awkward. The whole thing is strange, but it is convenient. I give it a 7 out of 10. And the rapid response nose swab. Look, it wasn't as bad as I imagined it would be. And if you get the results quickly, I guess it's nice. It's like a half an hour or so, which is pretty cool. But getting a long swab stuck up your nose and then twist it around and around is not my favorite way to spend a morning. And yes, I had to spend this morning that way. Thank you. I don't think I want anything up my nose like that, though, to be fair. I mean, there are many drugs I have not tried. So who knows? But I give the nose test only a three out of 10. A few other safety tips. Your insurance will probably only pay for one test. Choose wisely. Uh, Now that I've had covid, I pretty much think of myself as a superhero. I'm treating it like I'm immune, not just to covid, but to everything. I've had my positive test results laminated. In fact, I brought it out right here for you. This is it. I've actually laminated my positive test results. You see the little red square right there? It says positive. Uh huh. I'm carrying it around in my wallet. And when someone tells me I have to mask up or stop licking the grocery carts, I'm taking my magical immunity card out and I'm going to show it to them. And before you say that I might get it again, there's been like two documented cases in the world where people have getting it twice. I'm taking my chances with it and I'm carrying around my card. Get used to it. And finally, always remember to wear a mask while you are eating. That's the only way to truly be safe.
1: Does
0: you never want a flashing light in your face. You don't want that to happen. You don't want the red flashing light. You don't want to see that check engine light turning on. It can give you anxiety. But now that you have CarShield, uh, you don't have to worry about it anymore. CarShield offers a wide range of protection plans that can save you thousands for covered repair. We need to get CarShield doing all the things going wrong in our society. Eh, you know, whatever something goes wrong, CarShield can just step in and fix it for you. That's what I want. They're doing this with cars. Why not everything else? You have the freedom to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership or uh, really wherever you want to get the work done, and CarShield gets the rest taken care of. Even if your car breaks down while you're traveling, the choice of a repair shop is still up to you. They're not going to send you to, like, Bob, who doesn't really know how to fix cars, but he kind of knows how to do it, and then you're halfway down the road and the car breaks down again. That doesn't happen with you, CarShield. You get to pick whoever you want. Uh, On top of that, there's no long-term contracts or commitments. Payments are flexible, and CarShield plans are customizable to your exact needs. Everybody dreads car repairs, but CarShield can make this process a lot better. You get real peace of mind with CarShield. Get coverage today and see why CarShield goes farther. Uh, 800 665 2157. Mention the code stew or visit carshield.com and use the code stew to save 10%. You got to use the code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. It's carshield.com. The code is stew. A deductible may apply. 800-665-2157. The code is stew. Joining me once again from the First Liberty Institute is Jeremy Dice. Jeremy, thanks for taking the time to Come into the studio. My pleasure. Let's keep a good distance between the two of us, but we're good. <laughs> a little backstory here. Uh, if you go back to the last week I was on, before my uh, heroic, I would say, battle with coronavirus, um, uh, my guest on that Monday program was one Jeremy Dice, and I had the pleasure of giving Jeremy the call. In which I had to tell him, hey, by the way, might have given you a pandemic. Sorry
2: about that. We've bonded, I think, in a whole new way because of all this.
0: <laughs> I feel so. Um, I said at the, end of it, at the end of the call, I'm like, you're never coming on this show again, are you? And here you are, the We're first dead. show back.
2: That's right, man. Two weeks to the day.
0: That's very, that, well, thank you very much for doing this. And look, there's important stuff going on around this. This is why you're here. You don't care about my coronavirus. You care about the Supreme Court. And do, well, you might care a little do bit. care a little bit about your You care about catching the coronavirus. But... Um, Amy Coney Barrett also had the coronavirus, uh, she says, a while ago. Uh, she's like me. Um, she's a super citizen. She has extra constitutional powers, I believe. that That's going to be sorted out in the courts for a later time. Once you have immunity, you have immunity forever. Um, that's not true, by the way. This is a pretty amazing uh, situation, though, um, watching this come together. Here we are, and I kept thinking to myself, as the coronavirus thing was going on with the president— please don't tell me this is going to throw this off track. It's way too important.
2: No, You're exactly right. And we've seen today the very first day of the hearings, which is one gigantic political theater, and it did not disappoint. I mean, we've got... We've got posters the size of fat heads out there. We've got beautiful sympathy things. We've got even a, the book for uh, called I Dissent," the, the children's book about Justice Ginsburg sitting in the background as Kamala Harris lectures us about whatever it is she wanted to tell the United States about, why this is a brat, bad process. Look, we've been through all the reasons why we shouldn't be having the nomination, we shouldn't be having the confirmation, why Trump is a bad human being for doing the nomination. Uh, we need to delay, we need to pack the court. We've gone through all of these things and none of them are sticking, why? Because she's a rational, kind human being, right? They've attacked her faith, it hasn't stuck. Mm -hmm. They've done everything they can to slow this whole process down and avoid talking about her qualifications, why? Because they can't assail the qualifications. She's clearly a constitutional scholar that is deserving of the chance to be on the Supreme Court of the United States, they just simply don't want this person to be there. And I'd rather than just simply say that than than go after again, making sort of implication or subtle remarks about her faith. Chris Coons did that today, and I, we can get into that a little bit more. Uh, but it, it, it just nothing has been able to stick to this person who looks as comfortable behind that dais at, at the Senate Judiciary yeah. Committee as she does behind the wheel of a Honda Odyssey. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know I like the, the mask is actually helpful I think because if you have like a facial expression <laughs> that you don't want to show off, like you, you get to hide it a little bit. Um, it's interesting though to watch this because I, I, my take on it as I was kind of going through the coverage today was that the Democrats have it felt as if they had given in to the inevitable in that. This did not feel to me as an effort to find something that was going to stop this hearing. To me, this felt, uh, uh, or to stop this nomination, it felt like a hearing that was, uh, 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 they realized the, the religious thing didn't work, uh, calling her a mom to you know, she's, she, you know, either that she's too careerist or she's too much of a mom. They've tried both of those. Right. They have tried all these things. To me, it seemed like they realized none of this is going to work. Let's just make our best political speech about whatever issue we think, you know, uh, Obamacare or COVID-19, um, uh, the handling of the COVID-19 crisis, things that
2: were totally unrelated. They just looked at it as a high
0: profile speech. Let's make our best uh, election argument.
2: Is that how you saw it? Yeah, I I did see a lot of that same thing. I I think what's going on is a little bit of a political intimidation here. Since they can't actually get into the briefing of Texas versus California, Mm -hmm. they're trying to intimidate the person who might actually have to sit in judgment of that case, which is the case involving the Affordable Care Act. And so you saw trotted out all the sad sad stories about who's going to lose their health care, because of one person. Now, number one, let's just remember what that actually shows. It's the, what the left ideals about a judge. They believe a judge ought to be someone who is outcomes-based in their policy mm-hmm. orientation, not following the law, the statute that, as written, the, the language that's in there, uh, as what Justice uh, or Judge um, Barrett has shown a propensity to do, which is to follow the law where it leads and not have the outcomes-based attitude that so many of our justices even now plague the court system with here. So, number one, that's a kind of, a, again, a bad backwards way, kind of a good thing, right? We're we're seeing that this is not who that is, and the left is very upset about that. And so they're kind of projecting, if you will, on on Amy Coney Barrett for that. But then comes the act of political intimidation, where they say, you're going to be sitting in judgment on this potentially on November 10th, uh, and you are single-handedly going to shut down the Affordable Care Act. Well, no one individual can shut down. <laughs> She's not like the grim reaper somehow for the Affordable Care Act. That'll stand on its own merits or will fall based upon the arguments of counsel and, and the decision of nine justices on on the Supreme Court of the United States. And so it's a falsehood. But, uh, you know, I, I referenced Senator Coons in this whole thing. He had the not so subtle implication here that it was her theological beliefs that are at the problem here. He references Griswold versus Connecticut and says that because your church teaches that uh, contraception is uh, you know, morally incorrect, there's no way that, Judge Barrett, you could be unbiased here. Well, that is just a religious argument, a test for religious office by another name, which the Constitution forbids already. Mm-hmm. And we released data on this, this the week as a matter of fact, that we commissioned a poll last year, last week rather, uh, on the question about, about whether or not a nominee ought to be asked about her religious beliefs during the confirmation hearing, And two-thirds of the country says, no way, 62% said, no, this is not about that. Concentrate on her qualifications. They can't assail her for going to Notre Dame and graduating at the top of her class. They can't assail her for 16 years as a constitutional scholar. They can't touch her on the fact that she's an originalist, a textualist, and somebody who cares about her commitment to the the, the Constitution. And so they go after about the potential of killing the ACA. But do you really think that a mom of seven kids is going to be concerned about or is going to be committed to killing health care? I think she knows a thing or two about health care, having driven many of her kids, I'm sure, multiple appointments, including one kid with special needs. You know, I, I don't think this case is going to overturn Obamacare,
0: whether Amy Coney Barrett is on the court or not. The severability issue seems to be I mean. Roberts, I don't think it's going to go anywhere close to that. I don't think Kavanaugh is either, frankly. Um, it, it, the case itself, which basically talks about how uh, the, uh, the 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 um, the guarantee, the what? what why, why am I not thinking of this word? Uh, the word uh, is, of course, you know what I'm talking about, the clause that makes it so you had to have insurance. It forced you. Yes, that it, thing, that thing, that thing um, would if you because it's been basically uh, taken away from the, the Trump administration, dissolved it um, uh, more or less uh, that the law no longer functions. Um, there's no evidence to say that a John Roberts is going to, after two really good cases against Obamacare, is going to step in here and then dissolve the law in its entirety. That seems to be just, again, more fear-mongering. We, you know, we were told the day after Brett Kavanaugh got uh, in, on the Supreme Court that we were never going to see another um, pro-woman ruling. We were never going to see anything from gay rights get through. A- abortion was was on the, you know, Roe versus Wade was toast. And we saw several rulings that went the opposite way in the, in the, in the you know, almost instantly. Yeah. This is not a predictable thing like like they're trying to make it out to be. It's not the handmaid's tale on the way.
2: No, not at all. But again, I, I think what you're seeing is it's just, again, some of the sort of projection by the left of saying the ideal that we have here, someone who will do what we can't do within the body. Right. We can't pass all these laws necessarily. So we'll get it by the judicial fiat later on. And that has been kind of the mode of liberal justices for the last couple of decades. In fact, you gotta go all the way back to what, 1934, I think, to find a conservatively, reliably conservative Supreme Court here. And so we're getting to some different kind of territory now with Justice Barrett and and others here as well. Look, they're gonna be able to pound the table as loud as they wanna pound the table this week. Who knows what other October surprises we're gonna see here. We already have the sore loser plan put in place here to, to pack the court later on, which again, a majority of Americans absolutely reject, including a high majority of independent voters are really opposed to p- packing the court right now. Yeah. They're playing with a really dangerous deck of cards right now. And if they're not careful, not only are they going to see Justice uh, Bear, Judge Barrett become Justice Barrett, they're going to see a shift in the attitude of, the, of Americans nationwide in Senate races, presidential races, and the like. By the way, individual mandate is what I was looking for.
0: Why I could not think of that, I have absolutely no idea. Okay, um, can you give me a minute on, because you're like the smart legal mind around here. And, and we're all you know, just kinda like trying to understand this stuff. I'm glad you recognize that. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, give me a minute on the difference between textualism and originalism. They're, they're
2: constantly grouped together, but they're not really the exact same thing. What's the difference? No, look, originalism means that words have an original public meaning, and then textualism basically says, we're gonna go to the text as our guide for that original public meaning, right? So that the original public meaning means that when the statute was passed at one time, those words had meaning in that context. Mm-hmm. And so it's incumbent upon us to consider the meaning of those words at the time that that statute or that law or whatever it might be that's under consideration was put into place. The textless argument says, wait, there is a text for us to follow, number one, and we ought to pursue what that text actually is. And that text oftentimes find itself in a context for us to deal with as well. Mm-hmm. And so again, words here again have wonderful meaning and we ought to follow what words actually mean on things rather than read into them what our modern conscience wants to put into those. Uh, we saw that with a, a kind of a, a, a pseudo-contextualism, a pseudo-originalism with Justice Gorsuch this year on, on the Bostic opinion, where he's reading through a modern lens of what the word gender and sex may mean, but not what it meant in 1964. Yeah, that struck me as an example of maybe textualism over originalism, where like he, he's looking at the exact
0: texts of the word and coming up with what kind of the modern meaning of it is, and maybe in those exact words you can find a fit, but was obviously not the original intent, as he himself stated. But he said that was not what they were going for at the time and was still on this on that side of it. I found that
2: to be very odd. And it was not in the text at all. And in fact, the the Congress had had multiple chances since 1970 or 72 to amend that statute, and they chose not to do so. And so reading something into that text that was not there, in order to have the original public meaning of the word that was inside of it, uh, the, for the words that were actually there, was a real disservice to the idea of textualism or originalism. Thankfully, we've got someone who not only clerked for Justice Scalia, who, who really popularized this idea of originalism and textualism, but clearly has learned from, some, from him as well. Uh, and, and I think we're gonna see a Justice uh, Barrett who's gonna carry on that tradition, be alongside of people like Justice Thomas and Justice Alito, who are committed textualists, committed originalists as well. Uh, and the country is going to be ultimately served much better because of it all.
0: Is there anything that can stop this? Do we, I mean, obviously there there's something. But, I mean, is there anything realistic that, could, that can stop this nomination? Well, look,
2: we, we haven't heard from Michael Avenatti yet. So, <laughs> I mean, that's always an option, I suppose, that could come up and, and, and see something here at the last minute. <laughs> I, I do think you're going to see the, the left pulling every stop they possibly can right now, whether that is besmirching her character even worse than they have already or I've heard rumors about uh, removing a quorum capacity so they can't even have the vote by just simply absenting themselves from the process, yeah. which I think would be very cowardly for them to do. But uh, th- we could see those kinds of things occurring because th- they just can't allow this to continue if they if, uh, and, and appease their base in, in the process of doing so. But I think at the end of the day, as you've heard uh, Senator Graham and others say, Justice Gore, or Justice Barrett will be Justice Barrett. Judge Barrett will be Justice Barrett on October 26th.
0: Mm. Well, that's encouraging.
2: I mean, we do need this
0: to happen. The election is up in the air. I mean, uh, anything could happen there. Uh, this is as important or more important in some ways, uh, need, to get, need to get this one done. I, I'm, I am a constant pessimist on such things. I really hope you're right. Jeremy Dice uh, from the First Liberty Institute. Always a pleasure. And I don't think I gave you any diseases while you were here.
2: I'm thankful for that. I yeah. and, and just add that to the resume. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Back in a second.
0: We used to do this thing on radio back a few years ago uh, called scattered showers of journalism because every once in a while there's a scattered shower cloud comes in. It's a little there's a little gray cloud and you get a little sprinkle on your head for like 15 minutes and then you go on with the rest of your afternoon. That's kind of like journalism. Every once in a while you see a little burst of it. This one comes from Jake Tapper on CNN. Watch. How is it not constitutional what they're doing?
1: His point is that the people have an opportunity to
0: weigh in on this constitutional process through their vote. And we are now in the midst of the election. Millions of people have already cast their votes. And you mm. see that the vast majority of people say that they <laughs> want the person who wins the election on November 3rd <laughs> to nominate the justice. <laughs> That's a poll. That's seat. not the Constitution. So by voters are being denied their constitutional
1: right to have a say in this process, they when elected the Republicans the Senate. are trying to ram through, are trying to ram through A a nominee who, by the way, is going to change the makeup
0: of the court. And we see time and time again, poll after poll shows that most Americans vehemently disagree with this. They believe that the vote should happen on November 3rd. That's not what the word
1: constitutional means. Constitutional
0: doesn't mean I like it it, or I don't like it. It means it's according to the U.S. Constitution. There's nothing unconstitutional about what the U.S. Senate is doing.
1: Yes.
0: Thank you, Jake. A hundred percent right there. I, I didn't like the way he mansplained it to her, though. That I will say I had a problem with. Uh, But that seems to be uh, kind of the truth. This is one thing that drives me absolutely crazy with the media and politics in general. It's this idea that take a a word we all have a a bad taste in our mouth over um, racism, sexism, fascism, uh, unconstitutional, and then apply it to whatever I don't want. Like, I I don't want them to put a Supreme Court justice in right now. It's racist. It's sexist. It's fascist. It's unconstitutional. Um, Well, you know, uh, you know, Mike Pence, uh, he I didn't like his performance during that VP debate. It seemed like he was mansplaining. It was sexist. It was racist. It was unconstitutional. And it was uh, what's the other one? Uh, sexist, I don't know, racist, fascist, whatever it was. There's these same sort of complaints that just get tossed into this category. These are words that mean things. Unconstitutional means it's against the U.S. Constitution. Nothing that's happening right now uh, with the Republicans and Amy Coney Barrett is against the Constitution. You might not like it. You might want to come up with a word that you believe tests poorly with the audience so that you can try to win the argument, but you know, Jake call her out on that. That's what she's doing. There's nothing unconstitutional about it. There was a moment in the vice presidential debate where uh, Kamala Harris tried to come up with some historical argument about Lincoln, which was just inane and not true at all. Lincoln actually had, uh, you know, he was trying to get people who were running for who were going to be nominated to the Supreme Court to actually run with him and campaign with him. That's it. It had nothing to do. He She tried to make it seem like, oh, well, he was above that. He would never have named someone during an election. That's why he waited. He waited until December and he was absolutely overt that he was going to do it. It would have been it's like Trump doing it in December as well. You'd be happy with that. You'd rather have that. At least here people get a chance to say, okay Amy Coney Barrett, we see what kind of justice she is. Now we can cast our vote based on that. Uh, You should like this more. Of course, none of this is real. We talked about this before. I left uh, on my little COVID vacation. Uh, COVID, COVID. I'm going to have to come up with a word that combines those two because they're just too close together. My little COVID getaway. The COVID getaway, when we talked about how none of this stuff means anything. These people come out and say these things over and over every day. None of them mean what they're saying. They don't care if what they said last week is the exact opposite. None of this makes any difference to them. It makes a difference to you. You care about it. You care about the future of the country. To them, it's a game. You know, it's, it's, it's it just none of it means a thing to so many people in Washington. And you see this obviously with spokespeople at the lowest level, but it goes all the way up to the top. Nobody, nobody cares. They just say things that benefit them in that moment. That's the end of the story. That's why I love Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas isn't like that. Clarence Thomas says what he believes. Clarence Thomas went through that, that sort of, you, talk, you heard Jeremy Dice talking about it earlier. When you go through uh, the sort of like uh, test by fire that has been a Republican um, uh, Supreme Court nominee all of these years, um, from Bork to Kavanaugh to Clarence Thomas himself, When you go through that fire, you're tested and you just don't care anymore. You're just going to say whatever you want to whatever you want to say. Here's Clarence Thomas um, in a documentary that came out. And I want to show you this because it's about Joe Biden. Biden tried to be he tried to elevate his his intelligence a little bit. Speak on the level with Clarence Thomas during his, uh, his confirmation hearing. This exchange and the way Clarence Thomas characterizes it in this documentary is absolutely priceless. Watch
1: Finding out what you mean when you say that you would apply the natural law philosophy to the Constitution is, in my view, the single most important task of this committee. Senator Biden was very focused on natural law. How did that go? Who knows? I I have no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) I just want to make sure we all know what we're talking about here, that you and I know at least what we're talking about here. There's a fervent and aggressive school of thought That wishes to see natural law further inform the Constitution than it does now. Argued against by the positivist led by Judge Bork. Now again, that may be lost on all the people. You know and I know what we're talking about.
2: (laughs) I have to be perfectly honest with you. You sit there and you have no idea what they are talking about. All I know is that he was asking me these questions about
1: natural law. Someone may apply it in a way, like Moore, who leads him in a direction that is, quote, liberal. You may apply it in a way that leads you in a direction that's conservative. Or you may, like many argue, not apply it at all. But it is a fundamental question that is going to be almost impossible for non-lawyers to grasp in an exchange. But you know, and I know, it is a big, big deal. And in conclusion- One of the things
2: you do in hearings is you have to sit there and look attentively at people you know have no idea what they're talking
1: about.
0: (laughs) I stand by my analysis of Clarence Thomas. He's the single most important person in America. Uh, that's it. That's all I have to say. That is a uh, just love the frankness of that. He just doesn't care. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the hell he was saying. Uh, you just got to sit there and act like you, you do. And you realize he has no idea what he's talking about. I love the, the, the face of Biden there, though. He's so into it. He so thinks he has a point. And the entire time Clarence Thomas is just in his head mocking him <laughs> and just unloads on him several decades later. It's priceless. I love Clarence Thomas. Back in a second. So, Andrew Cuomo has a book out this week. Um, also, Andrew Cuomo is awful. Wait, actually, I should switch this out. Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. Uh, He's got a book out this week. I'm very excited for it. Uh, he's going to teach us all how to deal with the coronavirus poorly. Uh, How do you how do you I mean, like people in Wuhan are be like, how can we be so crappy at handling the coronavirus? Read Andrew Cuomo's book. He'll tell you all about it or he'll lie uh, profusely about what a good job he did. Um, He was uh, they're talking about him now getting a job in the Biden uh, cabinet. Uh, Let's see. What is the role? Attorney General. General. They're talking about attorney general. Now, of course, he'd be a, a terrible attorney general, but that tells you nothing about his abilities as an attorney general because he'd be a terrible anything. He's awful. Andrew Cuomo was awful.com. Uh, the idea that he would not take a powerful job in Washington is laughable. He would. Uh, he'd take any job he could that would give him more power. He just might think attorney general. Maybe that's not enough power. He's the type of guy, though, he's he has a lot of similarities to Elliot Spitzer uh, because Spitzer liked to use his uh, his platform to go take people down. I could see it happening. Uh, I can't wait, uh, and uh, we'll get into that as it happens. Um, and uh, we also have to remind you this little reminder that you may have forgotten on the week that I was out. Every single thing is racist.
1: Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist.
0: White
1: the extreme.
0: <laughs> First of all, uh, Gal Gadot, uh, who has been cast as Cleopatra. She is getting um, criticism, and this is the sort of journalism you get uh, from, from the press today. This is from USA Today. Uh, Wonder Woman star Gal Gadot will star as Cleopatra in an upcoming Paramount film, a casting that has drawn criticism for an Israeli actress playing the role of the legendary Queen of Egypt. She is being called a very bland-looking Israeli, which I don't know if you've seen Gal Gadot. Did you see the picture we just put up? Did she look like she was very bland looking? I feel like no, the opposite. But they're doing the thing that pisses me off, and I tell you about it every time I read it in a story because it drives me nuts. This is in the story about Gal Gadot. (laughs) Twitter user Mo Dehani asked, Twitter user? This person has no other qualifications than he uses Twitter, and you're putting him in a USA Today story? Twitter user, user Mo Dahani asks, how about they cast someone with North African blood? Well, what a great question. You know what? You should buy a freaking studio and you should start your own production of Cleopatra and then you can put any sort of blood you want in it. You can choose by race and by pick. Any, You know, I never hear anybody complaining about uh, uh, Hamilton, which is a whole story about how Uh, I don't know if you notice, none of these people look like the actual people they are in. we're in real life with the founding. They don't look like that, but that's okay. It's totally fine with Hamilton because you're screwing with the founders. But when it comes to Cleopatra, we have this line. We must have North African blood. So that's racist. And then um, what's oh, this one's great. The more protests are going on across the country. And this one in Portland, another riot um, has been. Taken, uh, d- taken down statues. And here is, this is the, this is a Theodore Roosevelt statue, uh, taken down to the ground, which again, I'm not much of a Roosevelt guy, frankly, uh, not a big Theo guy. Myself started the progressive party. Don't have much use for him. Not a big fan. However, don't sta- don't topple statues. You moron. They also, st- I love this though, toppled the statue of Abraham Lincoln. Literally. They're now saying Abraham Lincoln was a racist, there's only one way you can possibly say that Abraham Lincoln was a racist. And that, of course, is if everything is racist.
1: Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist.
0: White supremacist Uh As I'm sitting here celebrating my new status as a superhuman, completely immune from all infection, after having COVID-19 uh, last week, I get this uh, alert from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, a Nevada man has been become the first published case of a COVID-19 reinfection in the U.S., adding to growing number of examples. Here's the thing they don't include. Did those people that got reinfected, do they have this card? The card is what makes the difference. So... I got my positive status right here on this card. Can't be reinfected. All right, your reviews. There's a zillion of them because I was away and you kept reviewing the show even though I wasn't doing shows. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Go to iTunes, rate the the show five stars. That's the appropriate number of stars. Uh, Renegade says, "Funny, Stu always makes me. It sounds so simple while he makes me laugh out loud. Love this show." Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Friend of a friend. A friend of a friend mentioned how pretty good this show is. Haven't listened yet, but I'm sure it's great. Five freaking stars. And that's a key thing here. It's like Amazon. You don't have to buy the product to review it. Just go ahead and review it. Five freaking stars. Thank you so much. I love this stupid show. Studios of America is my fave show on the blaze. I don't miss an episode. Whatevs. I like how you just didn't have the time to do either fave Favorite or whatever. Not enough time. That's someone who has things to do in their life. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Uh stupid stats for five stars. No charts though. 90% of watchers, listeners of Studos America do not realize that Stu calls his show stupid because his name makes up 50% of the word stupid. Brilliant. Whatever. True. Five freaking stars. Stu is a vegan. Well, not really, but wonderful world of stew is fantastic. My only complaint, it was only once a week. Now the vegan Lincoln is here to emancipate us from boredom. All praise to the world's only conservative vegetarian. That's true. Stubergear, Gear, five freaking stars. Thank you so much. We'll see you uh, next week at your Notorious ACB shirt. Now, stewdoesmerch.com.